0: Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. If you're new, I hope you find a voice here of reason of honesty, and humility of an American Muslim who not only loves my country, but feels that it is the responsibility for American Muslims who believe in leaving a legacy of patriotism and liberty, who believe that the Arab Awakening was an opportunity for liberty, and an opportunity to defeat the two evils of secular fascism and political Islam and theocracy. Week to week, I try to find the issues of the day that are educational, instructive, and those clinics in understanding what it is we're up against globally within the Muslim consciousness that needs reform. There are many things that need reform, and I was just speaking to a group, a national group called the Pinnacle Forum, and the theme of their conference this week was transforming culture, and it's fascinating to me that what I thought we'd talk about is it's amazing that the left has always dominated this definition of what it is that is and is not American culture, and it seems that when we teach our kids about freedom, about liberty, democracy, and government, we seem to divorce that from a discussion about culture, we talk about pop culture, be it music, art, philosophy, literature, poetry. We talk about sport culture and the cultures of food and sort of the the ingrained element that defines different ethnicities. And America being that salad bowl, if you wish, or... Uh, melting pot in which many, many different ethnicities come together to celebrate their own and to celebrate the very American idea that out of many, one. But that one is unified under a constitution that is under God, that is based on freedom and liberty, with a Bill of Rights that guarantees those rights of the minorities, that we will not be subject to the final voice of a majoritocracy or mobocracy, but rather to the final voice of the Supreme Court that hopefully, God willing, defines that Constitution in its original definition. Peter Drucker said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And he was a businessman, entrepreneur, philosopher. But basically, there is nothing more relevant to this work. And how does how does a comment about culture and strategy relate to Muslim reform, relate to counter-terrorism, or more importantly, counter-Islamism? Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, the... Bottom line is is we can talk all day and night about strategically what we should do to counter violent extremism. Strategically what we should do to defeat the ideas that radicalize Muslims. And you hear the pundits and the homeland security experts and the folks with degrees in counterterrorism talk about The internet radicalizing them. Talk about lone wolves when, in fact, most of them were known wolves. Talk about those ideas like Aulakis and others that basically they think is the final pitch that radicalizes. But in fact, there is an underbelly, and that underbelly is theocracy, but it's also a loss of cultural identity. Which identity? The Islamists would tell you that you need to empower the Muslim identity to protect Muslims from radicalization. And yes, there's always importance to bring back our faith and fundamentals to our understanding of morality and righteousness. Nobody has ever suffered from accentuating righteousness and goodness against evil. But the strategy... The strategy that I would like to see in the conversation about counter radicalization is the fact that we need a cultural paradigm that is at its core American. And that conversation needs to not just to be had with all of America, but with American Muslims. There's an old Arabic saying, you know, I, I, as we think about culture eating strategy for breakfast. So no matter how much you plan, you do societal engineering, which is absurd. You just can't do that. It's not only the free markets that make products sell and change rampant. And the desire for economic independence, as we saw with the Arab awakenings across the Middle East. Yes, they were ripe for ideological change. But at the root, the tipping point was economic, be it the Delhi salesperson in Tunisia that self-immolated because he didn't want to pay the taxes to the regime, be it the millions in Turkey and I'm sorry, the millions in Egypt and Cairo that went to the streets to fight against the economic deprivation and unemployment of Egypt and Syria's revolution was no doubt driven by their economic stagnation of their fascist regime so culture is driven by financial wealth by education by not only music and and those palatable forms of what we identify with in our ethnicities within our nation states and within our identity from traditional Adherence to who we are, who our grandparents and our grandparents' grandparents were, but the evolving culture. And you cannot emphasize enough that as I tell every audience I speak to, if you want to help Americanism, help freedom and liberty win out over the threat of political Islam, then that cultural social contract what unites us needs to become stronger we need to redefine not change we need to remember and recall and lift up the definition of what it means to be american and unfortunately the far left which is globalist socialists that don't believe strongly in nation-state identities wants to dilute that Into a global collectivism and mind-numbing obsession with climate change and other aspects that divert us from the primary social ills in our neighborhoods, in our families, and our national family. What happened to the national family of America? You know, this is a question that is, I think, so central to the core of why we're losing the definition of our culture. How many people do you know refer to being American as belonging to a family? I guarantee you that if our Muslim families were teaching our kids that home is not where our parents came from, but home is here, and our family is not only our nuclear family, but our national family. And as a result, we need to love and adore our military that keeps our family safe, our police that keep our neighborhoods safe, our National Guard. And yes, the vast majority of American Muslims do believe that. But the culture within our community has often been driven by Islamists that have a separatist cultural mindset that does not celebrate the American identity of this culture, but rather lifts up a victimization culture. That victimization culture sacrifices the principles of universal human rights and equality under God, and ultimately sacrifices at the altar of Islamic supremacism. Those supremacist ideas Need to be countered, and the only counter is not only criticism of them, but a lifting up that American identity is our culture of universality, of respect for all equally under the law, under God. And it's time for us to challenge the Hollywood culture, to challenge the so called mainstream culture that is neutralizing and neutering. Many of the principles that unite us from value systems that are about the equality of men and women are about the individual rights of folks to believe what they want. And it's, you know, you start this with a discussion that holds our minority communities like Muslims accountable to the values that we hold our majority communities to. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of those battlefronts of the self and identity and why the transformation of culture is central to building a key strategy. And no, yes, maybe culture might eat strategy for breakfast, but culture will win this and we need to define what we're fighting. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears, solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease
1: of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glenbeckcom slash liars.
0: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio
1: Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jess. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's great to be with you. You know, this week as uh, we begin to feel the settling in of the Trump administration, we see a, a man who basically ran over the rest of the uh, Republican primary challengers by using culture. He had a prominence and a presence that... Uh, Describe it as you will, bottom line is is he leveraged celebrity status to the point that he was able to translate, monetize it, do whatever you you call it, into a political takeover, almost the way you would do in a business community in an arbitrage sense. And that's how he transformed culture. And he continues to bring that into the White House. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, as much as uh, I have my differences, it's nice to see a candidate who's now president that has a way to bypass traditional media. So he's using our culture to bypass traditional media. And who would have thought that the oldest starting president at 70... Little older than Reagan was when he first took over as president, would actually be using the technology of teens and 20 and 30 year olds to communicate his message and bypass the quote unquote establishment media. So Drucker was right, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and so many strategists were eating their shorts trying to figure out how it is that the apprentice host is now sitting in the White House. This is not a reality show, ladies and gentlemen. He used culture. There's also an Arabic saying that says you should eat your enemies for lunch before they eat you for dinner. And I think you see this applied over and over and over. Mr. Trump tweets and and distracts us often with certain things while then, while his cabinet appointees are getting grilled in Congress or other aspects may happen, culture is distracting us from the reality of the business of Washington. In some ways that might be good depending on what you're talking about. In other ways, it might actually distract us from the reality of what we are needing to attend to. I think ultimately this is about free market thinking, about how to shift populations with products, with ideas that they want to hear. It's about salesmanship. Yes, as painful as it was to see reduced to simple words to hear mr trump for example say that he was going to eradicate radical islam off the planet sounded great i was ready to cheer that but come on is that possible i mean that even goes beyond hyperbole there's no actual word to describe the exaggeration involved in saying that radical islam was going to be eradicated off the planet Because we all know that after Al-Qaeda, we then saw ISIS and then Jamaat Islamiyah, Hamas. Radical Islamic groups will continue to sprout and their cauldrons of theocracies will continue to brew them until Islam's leaders go through a real reformation. But it's fascinating how a salesman who uses the culture of exaggeration can make us feel that there's actually something being done. Now he also, I think, hired one of the best Secretary of Defenses we've ever had, General Mad Dog Mattis, and I think Mattis will be the best to get that job done. General Kelly, running Homeland Security, I hope will begin to unravel the violent extremism approach and look at violent Islamism, so we shift from CVE to CVI. I haven't heard that yet from him, but I'm going to continue to pitch it. And if we can get an audience with him, with the White House, to pitch CVI, that will be our pitch. At the core of cultural transformation is innovation. The reason culture eats strategy for breakfast is innovation. Every day, human beings are looking for new movies, new songs. New poetry, new cars, new products, new cell phones, new devices. The same old government gets old. Nobody really cares about new policies. They just want government to get out of the way. So Islamists bring to the Muslim consciousness a new Islam that isn't reformed, but is revivalists. So this is the battle in the consciousness of Muslims, is a battle between reformation, reformists, which is what I believe in, and revivalists, revivalizing, revitalizing the core message of what they believe to be the Salaf or Salafism, what the friends of the Prophet did in 620, 623, 628 CE. Now we can debate whether they're right or wrong i think many of us reformists will not will not surrender the narrative of the prophet muhammad to the revivalists but rather we believe there are modern ways to interpret these things but this is the debate that needs to happen the revivalists create a new product and feed it to the insecure the ignorant the victimized hyper-victimized ones controlled by the Islamist propaganda by the left and others who tell them that they don't have an individual identity but rather their identity is about the collective in America the collective to the left is about socialist collective the destruction and fear of the capital markets to the Islamist the collective is the mosque collective the Muslim organization collective, the minority collective. So invention, new ideas is what culture is about and the counter of the Islamist revivalist ideas has not happened yet. So just as there's innovation in sciences, there needs to be innovation in humanities. Innovation in the Muslim consciousness about how do we separate out our American belief in protection of this country from the personal practice of an orthodox Islam? Is that possible? Revivalism would not make it so because there were no secular states anywhere. In the world in seventh century, um, globalization, if you will, <laughs> global thought at the time there was no America in the seventh century. Fast- forward to the 21st century, now there has been innovation in society, and freedom has been taught and is being taught about why classical liberalism is preferable to theocracy. Nowhere in history has theocracy been proven to succeed better in a democratic process than true freedom and liberty in a government with an establishment clause. This is what we need to innovate. Cultural processes can be it through Twitter, through movies, through music, through rap, through Instagram, the images, the memes that we need to begin to transform the culture of our kids Nobody's saying that we should abandon Arabic music, even the hookah, abandon poetry, Khaliji music. All these things that make us who we are ethnically are different from using that culture to transform what it means to be American. Because right now the Islamists from Sayyid Qutb, from the early 20th century, who was a Muslim Brotherhood ideologue, one of the founding fathers of that ideology, came here and went back and painted the West as being evil, materialistic, and hedonistic. And that became one of the seeds of thousands upon thousands that began to paint the narrative of freedom and liberty as an anathema to Islam. He put that on top, of sharia rulings and medhebs or schools of thought that refuse to give people freedom, but rather kill apostates, cut the hands of thieves, give women half the votes of men, all the other pre-modern concepts that need reform, but can only happen in a culture of questioning, of critical thinking, of equality. So the importance, you know, you'll see one of the things in modernity has been comedy. The institutions of man were reduced to a significant level by, comedi- by comedians, which is a good thing. Critical thinking is what has been lost. Ishtihad is the religious critical, think- critical thinking that is part of interpretation in a modern way of our old legal thought. But critical thought and modernity and mocking institutions. It's interesting, my grandfather used to hate jokes about the dictator of Syria, Hafez, and then Bashar. Why did they hate that, my grandparents? Because it was not a laughing matter that genocides were happening where tanks would go in and kill twenty to 30,000 people. That, he said, comedy was part of a civilized culture. Comedy was part of not just venting, but actually was part of reducing institutions to an average equal human level. But when the institution had no respect for its people, you do not show it respect by mocking it. Because actually comedy is something given to somebody filling an institution that you respect. That it was not a laughing matter that these institutions of the Assad's, of the Ba'ath party, fascists of Arabists and Islamists in Syria, needed to be militarily defeated. So as you see, culture can drive. Why do you think the Assad's and the Ba'ath allowed jokes to be made about them? There are certain limits that they had, but for the most part, they did allow it. Why? Because it was mind-numbing. As they joked about this and that with the military, they it allowed the people to laugh it off and forget that their brothers and reformists were in jail being beaten and flogged. So culture is at the core of this battle. So I would tell you, as difficult as Sharia and all of these ideas may be, as difficult as it may be to define what it means to be American, it is time for us to begin the culture war against separatism, against theocratic mindset of political Islamic groups and begin to rebuild cultural movements that bring in our immigrants into a understanding of what it means to be an American through religious freedom and equality. This is zudi Jastron, Reform This, and we'll be right back.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network The Blaze Radio Network on Demand. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. It's great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. If you're new, Hopefully you're hearing a voice of rational thinking, a Muslim that takes ownership, that looks at reform and looks at solutions and not only identifying the problem, but uh, also you get a healthy dose of uh, identifying what we're dealing with and the scope of what we need to treat about radicalization. Thank you for listening on the conversation on culture. And and now I, I think... One of the things that uh, sort of hit the week hard was President Trump uh, talking about and his team talking about signing this executive order for halting immigration and refugees from certain countries and also about building the wall and following through on what was the really hallmark of his campaign. And boy, you know, first, before we get into the details, I I think it's just amazing to again hear the, the blogosphere and the social media talk about what is happening in a way that is beyond hyperbole. I mean, can we not have a rational conversation about what's actually happening with American policy? No, we have to say, oh, he's blocking all Muslim immigration, No, he's stopping immigration from Muslim countries. The bottom line is is that there were some countries identified and that access to the United States for refugees from visa holders from Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen were to be stopped. Stopped. And by the way, do you think right now we're bringing in tons from this country, these countries? Syrian refugees are certainly leaving Syria in the millions and this is a whole discussion that you and I have had. But there've been barely 10, 15,000 brought into the United States. And we can talk about how those distributions were not ideologically vetted and, and problematic. So I think, and as I've said, and this is somebody, by the way, I, you know, I have a dog in this fight. I have family that are in Syria. My parents escaped Syria in the 60s. Our families have been dealing with the ruthless, oppressive regime of the Assad's Ba'athists since the 60s. And this revolution started in its first few years as truly one of freedom against a rebellion against autocracy and tyranny. And obviously it remains that, but it has been, with no small thanks to the Assad regime, a radicalized rebellion with huge infiltration thanks to Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, with Islamist influence that has radicalized them, and thus the movement of Syrians out of Syria as a result of this, really, I think part of it is ethnic cleansing of the Sunnis by the Assad regime, who's affiliated with the Shia, Hezbollah radicals, the Iranian radicals, trying to depopulate Syria of its Sunni population in the sectarian battle between Islamists of the Shia versus the Sunni and caught in the middle of the Christians and minority populations. But we should have been vetting against Islamists, not just terrorists. They don't identify themselves as terrorists. But as in the Cold War, when we were fighting the Soviets, we vetted against communists, against though, we tried to. Some got through and ended up threatening our homeland security. But I think it's wise, as we said in the campaign, to put a pause. And if this executive order truly lives up to its claims, to put a pause of a certain number of days, be it 120 for any type of refugees coming in, uh, 90 days for visas, whatever the numbers are on the details of the executive order, the bottom line is, is that it's a pause. And I would not want more than six months. I think we can, if the Trump administration does this right, pause all immigration and refugees until we convene a method led by reformers who understand how to vet the ideas of Islamism, the belief in the Sharia state, the rejection of secular democracy, the rejection of universal human rights, the belief that all rights come from Islam or from the Islamic State or it's Sharia, not from God, and that the vessel of God is the human legal system of Sharia. Those individuals should be vetted, and there are ways to interview them, and at least in a far better percentage than we have now, to not give them the privilege, not the right, the privilege of coming to the United States. And then I believe we should resume it. And by vetting against Islamists, which is probably 20-30%, you then allow room for more proportional immigration of Christians, minorities, Baháís, others who are trying to come to freedom like our families did. And through that vetting process, we then hone down on our skill sets as a country in understanding the ideas of those who hate us. Then you start finding interrogators at the Homeland Security who know how to pick out anti-Semitism, anti-homophobia and other ideas, uh, misogyny that are all part and parcel of that Islamist ideology. But back to the truth. The truth is is that immigration was halted by this executive order from the list of countries that includes Yemen, Sudan, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Libya. Nothing about Muslim. Yes, the majority there are Muslims. So certainly the fear mongers and victimization radicalizers at the Council on American-Islamic Relations want you to believe that this is about banning Muslims. And they'll use that meme, banning Muslims, when there is no such wording in the executive order. Not that I'm aware of, unless I missed it. Now, I would have preferred it to say in order to vet against Islamists, but I can see until the administration gets its head around vetting against the ideologies, it would then wait to specifically do that and until it has the skill sets working and speaking for it that can clarify and thread the needle that this is not about the government interfering in the practice of religion, but it is about the government protecting itself from a global theopolitical jihadist threat. That's the threat. The global jihad. It's the global jihad stupid. Remember the podcast I did four or five weeks back called It's the Global Jihad Stupid. And this is what Mr. Trump, President Trump now is doing. Pausing for a short period, I hope, to then get a longer term solution and strategy against radical political Islamism. But we need to be able to parse those words. It's not a nuance to say that we welcome in Muslims, Christians, all faiths, but we reject Islamists and especially radical Islamists and jihadists from our borders. Until we figure out how to do that, it is correct. And as much as it hurts me to say this as a Syrian American, it's correct to pause it, not stop it. Pause it. Again, the nuance of the language is important. We aren't stopping the immigration, we're pausing it. And when I come back, I want to talk to you about what our long-term strategy should be. That hopefully this executive order is but a start. And that eventually, as we go past the 120, 180 days, I hope at the most, we then transform into a solution that includes barring Islamists but encouraging and welcoming reformists who will be great patriots and can use their open freedom of gained here in America to help us fight against all forms of Islamism, theocracy, and help us promote liberty domestically and abroad. This is Zudi Jester, and I'll be right back on Reform This.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's great to be with you. I, you know, we're we're talking about the executive order on immigration. We knew it was coming. The campaign was all about the fear and much of it true, a lot of it exaggerated. But bottom line is, is that uh, the reality is, is that... Radical Islamists want to attack us, and they've done so repeatedly. Now, were they refugees? For the most part, most of them were not, other than the spouse of the San Bernardino uh, killer, the uh, one recently that had gone from Tunisia. Now, he sought asylum, but I don't know why anybody would want asylum from Tunisia. They had a removal of their tyranny. And a democracy that's evolving. so that made no sense, but bottom line is is that he was using false papers pretending to be a refugee after leaving prison in Italy. So there have been some examples of many that have exploited the huge, huge rush of millions of refugees into Europe and into the West, and the Obama administration's refusal to address ideology has left us vulnerable, and God knows. Even of the ten to 20,000 that are here, and some say up to 100,000 that have been accepted, how many have sympathies for ISIS? And this is a real threat. It is not a right to come to the United States. It's a privilege. So when you look at solutions long term, I hope the executive order is a short term solution response to American fears, response to a need to reset and reboot Homeland Security's ability to vet the threat. But then as we look upon the ideologies that we're vetting and those who were welcome, we realize that at the key, the center of this war is a battle of two simple, incompatible beliefs. One believes that they want to die for the Islamic state, any Islamic state, and its jihad, its military service to die in the way of God, as the motto of the Muslim Brotherhood goes, to die for the way of jihad, for God. And then, along with that death for God, for jihad, for the Islamic state, for Sharia, comes a hate For the Jews, for the West, for America, for secular society, for liberalism, for women's rights and equality. That is the battle between Islamism and what it hates and what it loves. And then on the other side are those that would die for freedom, for liberty, for America, for France, for that nation-state loyalty that replaces, displaces, and defeats their jihad, and instead they exchange it for universal human rights under God, under their constitution, and belonging to their new nation-state. Not dual divisions between loyalty to their motherland and loyalty to America or Canada, but simply a loyalty to their new patriotic nationalism, their belief ...in dying for the Constitution and the laws of mankind. This is not to divorce themselves over their religion... ...but to divorce themselves of the theopolitical... ...Islamo-national movement... ...of Islamism. So the long term should be that if we vet against... ...those who want to come to the United States to do us harm and to advance and evangelize their theopolitical Islamist movement, then we can start back a process because the Muslims that would come here to fight and die for liberty would be our greatest allies and would allow us not to redefine what it means to be American. Would allow us not to change ourselves into a more secular, autocratic definition of our democracy, our city on a hill, but maintain that last best hope for all those who want to be free. That's why I'm here. My parents saw America as that last best hope because Syrian nationalism failed. Syrian tyranny destroyed their identity, their individuality. And they saw Americanism as my grandparents and parents learned and their experience in London, and and my father was educated in London and realized the beauty of Western democracy and embraced it on his immigration and political asylum in the United States. And I grew up in Wisconsin. I talk about that in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, but I hope the long-range part of this executive order will be that no later than 180 days, it is rescinded, And then we put into place an ideological vetting that's not only about preventing violent extremists, which is a tactic, but preventing violent Islamists and the ideology of theopolitical Islam. Not my Islam, not pietistic Islam, not the Islam that loves and embraces American constitutional law, but the Islam of Wahhabism, the Islam of Iranian Khomeinism, the Islam of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Islam of Jamaat Islamiye, of an in Tunisia. These Islamist movements are not welcome in the United States and they may exist in the united states by immigrants who got here and we can deal with it with the antiseptic of sunlight since their ideas nobody wants to nobody wants to have the government infiltrating and and suppressing our ideas now they should monitor public footprints of Islamism if they're going to be held accountable for violent Islamism they should know the nonviolent Islamists on Facebook, on their websites and public publications and other things should if they're available to the public they should be available to the government and read and understood as part of public movements but the Islamists don't have a right to come here if they're not here already And in our national security apparatus, we should figure out a way for those refugees to vet against those ideas. And I hope that's what this pause will give our government time to do. Our Muslim Reform Movement has a two-page declaration that lays out the ideas that are incompatible with Islamism, ideas that can be used as a platform from which to discuss free speech, Rejection of apostasy, the protection of those who leave Islam, the acceptance of the equality of men and women. All of the parts of what we accept and breathe, as my grandfather used to say, the oxygen of American freedom. Since we forget sometimes what that oxygen is, we get so used to it. My family, who had lived in oppression... As we see now, obviously, what Syria has always been. It's no different now just because there's a kinetic rebellion and a, a suppression and genocide from the regime happening and also from ISIS. Just because that's happening doesn't mean there wasn't a revolution before. It doesn't mean there wasn't thousands and tens and tens of thousands of innocents killed and slaughtered. in various massacres in the last 50 years in Syria. It's been happening and continues to happen. But do not allow this discussion of immigration to be lost in a bevy of hyperbole about what's actually happening. The topic of immigration, refugees, and being American will not be lost if we just pause it and then restart it to be able to better define what we stand for and who we look for when we look for allies. And this is why it's going to be very impossible, I think, for the Trump administration to do this right if it doesn't also hold our allies accountable to the same values. If the allies that we want to work with, be it the king of Saudi Arabia and his theocracy or the Khomeinists or Iraqi government, Lebanon, Libya, whoever it is, if we don't hold them accountable to the same universal human rights and say, well, not that they need to change tomorrow, but at least be in the process of modernization and rejection of tyranny and oppression and theocracy, if they don't reject that, we can't embrace them and say, oh, you're wonderful, we'll never sanction you because of your ideas. And that Islam is okay, but if they're coming to our country, then that Islam somehow will change. No, we tell them, listen, we have Muslims in America that are reformists that seem to practice a form of Islam that's very modern. Your countries must be ancient and medieval and not modernized. If your Islam of Wahhabism or Qatari sympathy for Islamism is somehow defining 21st century Islam, which Islam is it? Why is it? so far-fetched for our government to say that that is theocratic and incompatible with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And look at what the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom has said about religious freedom in those countries and why many of them, like Pakistan, are on the CPC list for countries of particular concern. These are things that we should be saying from the White House every day. We should be talking about the prisoners of conscience in those countries that are Muslim, Christian, atheists, and otherwise. And then you'll see a synergy of the message about not only the values with which we will hold refugees accountable for, but the values with which we will hold their governments that are creating tyrannies that create these refugees. This is the key. If we continue to have a schizophrenic approach where we say, oh, the beauty of Islam is the Emirates who say that the Brotherhood is a terrorist organization, but we all ignore the theocracy of the Emiratis and their government or the Qataris and their government and the billions they shell out to create and fuel Islamism across the planet. We'll ignore that since they're working with us against ISIS and Al-Qaeda even though their ideas are fueling and saying the same thing, but just not as openly viral, just more of a corporate Islamist. The beheadings done in the chop shops in Saudi Arabia, in front of the mosques in Jeddah, that they flog dissidents, Muslim dissidents and non-Muslims, is no different than what ISIS does. They just don't always flaunt it the way isis does now sometimes they do there are videos of the saudi government flogging people in front of the mosque in jeddah we just ignore those because they say they're working with us against isis the common enemy to rid the world of violent extremism oh don't call it violent islamism so as we this week begin this conversation that thank you to mr trump we're finally having, we're not banning Muslims. We're banning Islamists from the privilege of coming here, not from the right. Islamists, even in America, have rights as long as they're nonviolent. We'll treat them with the antiseptic of sunlight domestically, and globally, we'll treat them by banning their ideology from joining. It's not a right to come here, no different than it was a right for communists and others to come here in the cold war even today i hope we're not letting those come in who reject democracy capitalism and the very fabric of our country this is Zudi jasser on reform this thank you for joining me the conversation will continue week to week on the blaze radio network as we here and here alone will find Mm -hmm. solutions that hopefully then we will translate across the country and into the world Thank you for joining me. God bless
0: you. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.